Thank you, Brandon. I love that song. Isn't it a wonderful day to worship God? Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for Daenerys a day, for Daenerys a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, "You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you." So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborer and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came they thought they would not or they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius and on receiving it they grumbled at the master of the house saying these last worked only 1 hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat but he replied to them friend i am doing you no wrong did you not agree with me for a denarius take what belongs to you and go I choose to give to to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Please be seated. I want to thank you for coming and being with us today. It's always a privilege for us to be together, and I look forward to these occasions where we worship together and we study the Bible together, singing these beautiful hymns. Thank you, Brandon, for leading us in these beautiful songs today and for your fine participation in following that direction for the prayers which have been offered. I'm so grateful for for the reading of the Scripture. Thank you, Nat, for reading this Matthew chapter 20, 1 through 16. I hope you'll be with us again tonight. For visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. It's always a very important occasion for us to worship God and study the Bible, and we're happy that you're with us to share in that worship. This is a familiar passage, I'm sure. I thought about Matthew chapter 19, and I thought, well, I'll use Matthew 19 as um, the basis of our discussion today, and I thought, well, I like chapter 20, and I'll call it uh, uh, the parable of blessing, and I do that because chapter 20 really falls in line with what was being said in in chapter 19. Sometimes I hesitate to put the sermon titles in the bulletin, and I'll tell you why. I think sometimes we're going to read that title, and we're going to say, yeah, I've heard sermons on that. I don't need to listen. To that part of it. I've heard sermons on that, and I don't need to listen to that again. And I, I want to inform the congregation what we're doing and where we're going, but sometimes I wonder if we read a sermon title 
And we think, well, I've heard several sermons on that. I don't need to listen to that again. But, you know, maybe we do. Maybe there's insight in these passages that we've forgotten. Maybe there's insights into these passages we never knew. You know, one of my favorite verses is John 8 and 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And sometimes we think, well, I've memorized this verse and this verse and this verse. Now I'm therefore free. I I know the truth, and the truth will make me free. Well, it's certainly the case that the truth will make us free, isn't it? But I'd like for you to recognize something about that. In Matthew chapter 1, the same word is used uh, with regard to Joseph and Mary. In Matthew 1 and verse 25, there it says of Joseph, But knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and called his name Jesus. You remember the background of that verse, Matthew 1, 25. Verse 25 is saying that they were betrothed to each other, Joseph and Mary. She was found to be with child by God the Holy Spirit. The angel revealed these matters to Joseph. But Joseph knew not his wife in an intimate relationship until she gave birth to her son, Jesus, which was given to her by God the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful and tender story that is. The reason I'm there is it's the same word, no. It's used over there in John 8 and 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Joseph knew not his wife Mary until she gave birth. He didn't have that close intimate relationship with his wife. Do we have that close, intimate relationship with the Word? Have we learned to lean upon the Word? Have we learned to trust the Word? Have we learned to have faith in the Word and confidence in the Word and live with the Word day by day? Sometimes, if we hear a sermon title, we think, well, I already know all about that because I heard a sermon on it once before. I heard a couple of sermons on it once before. But there may be insights into that that we've never seen or thought about because we have not grown to know the truth in an intimate, close relationship whereby we live with it every single day and let it lead our lives and follow its teaching and guidance as we should. John eight thirty two, Matthew 1, verse 25. That led me to re-examine this matter in chapter 19 and chapter 20 of the book of Matthew. And I saw in Matthew chapter 19 about a rich young man who came to Jesus asking the right questions. And in the discussion, he says, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? I wish more people would ask that question. And Jesus said, living under the dispensation that the rich young ruler did and young man did at the time, he said, keep the commandments, you know the law. Honor your father and mother. He said, well, I've done all this from my youth up. What do I lack yet? And Jesus turned to him, knowing that he had such wealth, he said, now sell what you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. It could be Jesus was inviting him to become an apostle. But when he heard that, he went away sorrowfully because he was a man of great possessions, and he had great wealth, and he wasn't willing to follow Christ. Then Peter, hearing that discussion, said in verse 27, Matthew 19. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. 
What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you will have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And then a very haunting statement in verse 30. But many who were first will be last, and the last first. Now, our parable of blessing, chapter 20. It came on the heels of the apostles asking the question, what are we going to get out of this? What are we going to get? Now, that man would not give up and follow you. We've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of this? What's the response that we should expect to receive? Jesus, understanding something of the quarreling nature of these apostles, sort of jockeying themselves into a better position in the kingdom, makes this statement, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And so he tells the story of a man who goes out here and goes to the marketplace. And the day laborers are out there. And he says, hey, you want to work in the vineyard? And this man says, yeah, I'll go work. He says, I'll give you a denarius for a day's wage. And they go for it. They say, yeah, we're day laborers here. We're ready to go work. We'll work all day day's wage, which was the common wage of the day. And then periodically through the day, I guess the master realized he needed more help out there in the vineyard in the harvest time, so he goes and he secures some more day laborers. And he tells them, I'm going to pay you the same wage. I'll give you denarius for a day's wage, which was common day's wage for the time. And then he goes out later uh, in the sixth hour, and he finds some more, and he goes back and he says, you know, here's some here that um, aren't working. Why aren't you guys working? He said, well, nobody's hired us. He said, well, come work for me, and I'll give you denarius for the day's wage. But most, much of the day had already passed, and so they were hired later in the day, but still given the same wage. You see, a day's labor went from 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening. And some of these fellows worked all day long for the same money. Some of them worked for like half a day, and some of them for even less than that, and received the same wage. And some of them began to grumble about that. I said, oh, wait a minute. We've been out here all day long. How is it that this one receives the same thing that I receive? And Jesus is telling them about God's attitude about the matter. It's mine to give. And then that statement comes up again in verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last, Matthew 20 and 16. God will bless. God will bless according to His grace and according to His mercy. I think sometimes, though, we don't know how to receive the blessing. We have so many blessings that we don't know how to receive. We want more. We don't appreciate the blessings that we have. We don't appreciate the wonderful blessing that God has given us, and we have so many, many blessings And I looked at this passage and I thought, you know, I've studied this so many times, but I think I'm seeing something here I haven't seen before. As I draw closer to the Word 
and let the Word lead me and guide me and direct me and come to know the Word better, I see insight in the Word that was always there, but I just didn't see it before. So I'm not backward about preaching about a passage in Matthew 19 and 20 that I may have discussed many times because I see new things in the passage every time I go to it. How to receive the blessing. How to receive what God has given. That's what I want to study with you about today. Sometimes we sing the song, There Shall Be Showers of Blessings. It's one of my favorite songs. I enjoy singing that. And then there is a phrase, though, in that song that bothers me a little bit. Mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead. And it's almost as if God's dribbling out His blessings here and blessings there. But I'm really looking for a gusher. What I want God to do is really bless me. Peter said, now we've left everything for you. What are we going to receive? What are we going to get out of this particular matter? That rich young guy over there, he wouldn't give up anything. We've given up everything. What can we expect? Jesus teaches three great lessons in a parable about blessing. And I don't want to forget them. The first thing I want to learn is that believing is better than bargaining. Accepting God at His Word. Now notice how that came up in this parable. I'm in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. You see, believing in God is much better than trying to make a bargain with God. You know how that many times that comes up? Notice in verse 4, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. God's going to do the right thing, you see. Verse 5, so they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. Verse 7, they said to him, because no man has hired us, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So he's hired them in increments, and they go out into the different um, periods of time. But then you get to verse 10, and you get the grumbling and the complaining about the blessings. Now when those hired the first came, they thought they could receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. In other words, they were complaining, We should have received more. I believe Jesus is trying to tell them it's better to believe in God and His blessings than to try to make a bargain with God and His blessings. You know, sometimes we do that. We try to make a bargain with God. God's always going to do the right thing. God's always going to bless us in His wonderful way. And there's no reason for us to try to bargain with God. Now, I guess the reason I'm pretty strong on this point is because I think I've been guilty of that very problem. And it started very early in age when I was on the baseball team. And they were hitting those grounders at me, and I was trying to play third base. And I was missing the grounders, and I kept thinking, Lord, I'll never say a bad word again if you let me catch the next grounder that comes right through here. And I can't remember whether I either caught it or not. Probably not. But at a very early age, 
we start thinking we can make a bargain with God. Lord, I'll be a better Christian if you save my child. Lord, I'll be a better Christian if you let my wife live. I'll be more dedicated to the cause of Christ if you'll do this for me, if you'll do that for me. You see, it's better to just believe. God's going to do the right thing. It's better to go ahead and believe than to try to make a bargain with God. Now, men have tried to make bargains with God. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. In this Old Testament passage, you'll recognize the story. Here you have Lot and the story of Abraham and and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the heavenly visitors have come, and Abraham has greeted them. But then, as they go on to Sodom, the passage says in verse 22, there um, Abraham talks with God. Then Abraham, verse 23, drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it. And then in verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? You ought to mark that verse in your Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 18. It's the last portion of verse 25. And the answer to that rhetorical is yes. The judge of all the earth is always going to do the right thing. There's no need to bargain with God. And all this thing goes, and the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And you remember what Abraham did here. Abraham said, Now don't be angry with me, Lord, but what if there were just five less than the fifty? Would you spare it for forty-five? And God says, Yes. I will not destroy the city if there are forty-five righteous there. What about forty, Lord? Would you spare it for 40? God says, that's right. I'll spare the city for 40 righteous souls. Comes about verse 30. He says, what about 30? Would you spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for 30 righteous souls? And God says, yes, I will. I'll spare them. What about verse 31? Will you do it for 20? He says, there are 20 righteous souls in the city of Sodom. I'll spare the city. Abraham said, now don't be upset with me, Lord. But if you could just find ten. If there are ten righteous souls in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare them? And God says, yes, I will spare them. I will not destroy the cities of the plain for ten righteous souls. And God knew ten righteous souls could not be found. And now they lie in an appropriate place beneath the Dead Sea. That's what God did to the cities of the plain. Wicked people, Sodom and Gomorrah, abomination. There's no need to bargain with God. The only need is to believe Him. It is better to believe than try to bargain with God. It is better to go ahead and do what God has told us to do and not try to make bargains and leagues and contracts with God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Isn't this an interesting verse? 1 Corinthians is a a great book of the Bible. They're all great, I know. They're all inspired, and they're wonderful, and they're helpful, and 
They teach us so much. I'm so grateful for each and every chapter. But some verses, some books, some chapters just really are on the point of my need for the present. And here's one of them, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7. Notice what he says about the church at Corinth and the blessings that the church at Corinth had received. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the judge of all the earth is going to do right. God's going to bless. And there's no need in trying to bargain with God. The only need is believe God and do what God has said. And so a person comes along and he says, Now here here is a man who hired me for a denarius a day. Just go ahead and do the work that the master gave you to do. And he'll do what's right. We don't have to make bargains with God. We just do what God tells us to do. Um, I found this verse, and I know you're familiar with it. It's found in Psalm 37. Why don't you turn to that, Psalm 37, and mark it in your Bible, verse 35, because it surely speaks to the point that we're trying to understand for the present. God is going to take care of us, and there's no need to make a bargain with God, as we see in this parable of blessing. Just receive the blessings that God has in store for you. And the verse is verse 25. Isn't this a wise saying and a truthful one? Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-five. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. What's he saying there? God's going to take care of you. God's going to bless you in his wonderful way and there's no need to try to make a bargain for God. I'll tell you what happened to me one time. I was in Memphis, Tennessee and I tried to talk with this man about his soul. I tried to talk with him about being baptized. I tried to talk with him about his spiritual condition, and he surely was one that needed to repent and needed to be baptized, as we all do. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and and I was encouraging him along these lines. He came to services a time or two, and I had so much uh, hope for this individual, and we studied the Bible, and Then he drifted away, and he didn't come, and didn't come, and didn't come. And I'm talking to him. I said, now, you need to come be with us. Uh, You need the strength the church has to offer. You need to obey the Word of God. You need to uh, become a child of God the biblical way. He says, yeah, I know, I know. I need to do that. I need to do that. Lo and behold, somebody told me he's in the hospital. I said, well, I'm surprised at that. It just seemed like to be the picture of hell, so I go to see him in the hospital. He's there in the hospital bed. I said, what in the world happened? He said, you know, whatever it was, and I can't remember the specifics of it, but the doctor said if I'd waited another day, I'd have died. I had to come right on in here. And he said the doctors knew exactly what to do, and the nurses, and the medication, and I responded to the medication. He said, man, it helped me, and in a few days, I won't be able to go back home. I said, you know what? You know who's responsible for that? God blessed you providentially with life and gave you another opportunity to obey the Word of God. If you yourself said you waited another hour or another day, it had been too late. But now these doctors, God has been so good to you, it's time for you to repent and to obey the gospel of Christ, be added to the church. He says, you know, I'm going to do that. I made a promise to God. If he let me come out of this hospital... I was going to become a Christian. That's what he said to me. He said, come Sunday, I'm going, to become, I'm going to be baptized. You know what happened? He didn't come Sunday. You know what happened? 
He never came back. You know what happened? God in his providence allowed him to get out of the hospital and lived a number of years after that. But he never obeyed the gospel of Christ. It's better to go ahead and obey than it is to try to make a bargain with God. You don't need to make a bargain with God. The God of all earth is going to do what's right by you. He's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. The only thing you and I need to do is obey Him, believe in Him, and do what He says. That's our responsibility. And these apostles, oh, they're so concerned. Lord, we've left everything. What are we going to get out of this? The God of all earth is going to do the right thing. He's going to bless us. And he's going to save us. It's a parable about blessing. Matthew chapter 20. But I found, I found a second point. Obeying is better than observing. And I guess that's what my friend did. He just observed and he just looked. And I saw this when I came to this in Matthew chapter 20 how that they began to look around at what others were doing and what others were going to receive. They started looking around at other people. And in Matthew chapter 20, it says, Now when those hired first, verse 10 came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat, verse 12. I'm in Matthew chapter 20, and I'm reading verse 12, and I'm reading about people now who are kind of looking around at other people, and they're observing what others are doing and what others are receiving. And the point that Jesus is making in the passage is, it is better to go ahead and obey than it is to observe and start judging myself by them or comparing myself by that one. Or this one. Now, an Old Testament writer did that, and it's in Psalm 73. And Psalm 73 has been one of my favorites. And Psalm 73 has helped me in a lot of ways, and I turn to it, though I'd love to study this whole passage with you, but I want to look at just a verse or two in the beginning of Psalm 73 to illustrate this principle it's better to obey than start looking around at others. Truly God is good to Israel, Psalm 73, 1. To those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now that bothered him. He looked around at others. And he began to say, see how well that person is blessed? See how much that person has? See how wicked that person is? And it almost made me lose my faith. Now, it's Aesop that's, reading, uh, that's writing this, writing by inspiration. It is a psalm of Aesop, and we'll talk about who he was later. But the point is, you have a number of psalms written by different inspired writers and collected in the Hebrew songbook. And this is one by Aesop. And Aesop says, you know, when I began to look around and see how prosperous the wicked were and how well the, the wicked did, it almost caused me to lose my faith. He says, for they, that is the wicked, verse 4, have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Uh, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. 
Therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment, their eyes are swelled out through fatness, their hearts overflow with folly. They receive so much, they have so much, and his point is, I was covetous of what the rich man had. This rich man was a wicked man, and I got covetous over that. I got to looking at that, and it almost caused me to lose my faith. But, he says in verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Then I realized the end result of the rich man. Rich man. And I realized it's better to obey than it is to observe what everybody else may or may not be doing. Now those who had been hired all day long were complaining and they were grumbling over that particular problem. I'm only getting a denarius today. He's only worked half a day. He's getting a denarius right along with me. It's better to obey than to observe and keeping tabs about what everybody else has or what everybody else is doing. My task is to obey the Word of God. Peter comes up and says, Lord, what are we going to get? Well, Jesus is trying to tell him, Peter, it's better. Just go ahead and obey. God's going to do right by you. God is going to bless you. Bless you far more than you deserve. Even though you're going to be a great soldier of the cross, an apostle of Christ, God's going to do right. The God of all the earth is going to do just and right by you. Obey rather than observe. Now, let me stop and ask yourself a question which I have in my mind and you have in your mind. Who would you trade places with, really? I mean, if you had the opportunity, of course we can't, but who would you trade places with, really? Oh, they may have more, they may have less, but would I really want to trade places with that person? God's going to bless me. I don't want to observe what they have or what they do so much as I want to focus on my obeying the Word of God. And God's going to bless me in the process. How to receive the blessings, you see. You receive the blessings by obeying the Word of God and not by observing everybody else. There's another point that I must hurriedly get to. Commitment is better than supposed conviction. And I saw that in our passage today in verse 10. And when I read that again, I saw Matthew 20 and 10, an important point. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Uh, He did what he should have done for those who were committed. Obedience means being committed. And it is better. Commitment is better than a supposed conviction, than just going through the motions, going through the routine. You don't want to do that. You don't want to just go through the motions. You want it to be heartfelt and sincere. Your devotion to Christ and your worship of God and your study of the Word of God, it's got to be from the heart and it's got to be real and genuine. And it can't be just some kind of supposed conviction that we have, but it comes 
from the very depth of our heart because that's what we know and is true and we serve the Lord and we want to please the Lord. Turn with me to a passage that helped me along this line. It's in John chapter 2. And I'd like to look at it uh, just for a brief moment. In John chapter 2, it teaches me the point here that commitment is what God wants. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, verse 23, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. And I have underlined, did not entrust himself because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. They weren't, they weren't committed They had not really been committed. They went through a supposed kind of trust. Then I went to John chapter 3 and verse 16. Same words used here. Now they translated a little differently. And you'll remember John 3.16 is probably the most famous passage of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There's the commitment right there. The one who commits, it's better to be committed than it is to just have a supposed conviction. Jesus knew the hearts of these people, and he knew that they really weren't with him. But when God gave his son, he said, whoever believes in him will be saved. sad part about that is some people look at that and they say, well, all you have to do is believe. Isn't that sad? That is so sad that they can miss the point so important. A point about commitment that I commit my life to God, that I obey God, that I obey His Son, that whoever believes or is committed to Him should not perish but have eternal life. And they want to water that down and just say, well, it's just if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that commitment is better than supposed conviction. There have been a lot of people out there who claim to be convicted But they weren't. But commitment is more important than that. And I see that in our study today and this particular parable of blessing. Believing is better than bargaining. Obeying, oh, that's better than observing and looking at everybody around me. Commitment, oh, that's better. Better than a supposed conviction whereby we act as if we're devoted when really we are not. Can I learn something from this parable of blessing? Yes, I can. I can learn a great deal. I can learn this, verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let there not be any kind of envy or jealousy or jockeying back and forth for a better position in the kingdom of God. God's going to be generous. And when you think about that generosity, it boggles the mind as to how much God gives and gives and gives. And he makes reference to it not only in this life, but also in the life to come. Verse 29 of chapter 19. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold amen to that. And will inherit eternal life. Amen to that. Receive eternal life. Live the best possible life there is to live here and now. And receive eternal life in the life to come. 
Everybody, every man, woman, boy and girl needs to become a child of God. You need to repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess the name of Christ, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Become a child of God and become committed to that, to do the will of God and let the Word of God lead you and guide you and come to know the truth, John 8 and verse 32. Know it deeply. Have reverence for it, respect for it. Know the Word of God and let it lead you and let it guide you through life every single day. And in turn, let it lead you to glory and everlasting life. To be able to receive the blessings. We have so many blessings. I hear these fine men lead us in prayer and make comments about all the blessings that we receive in life. Isn't that the truth? That is so true. There are so many people throughout the course of this world who have so much less. And we have so much. And God be thanked for the blessings. Let's be committed. Let's obey. And let's believe that God will do the very best for us. All we need to do is follow Him and take Him at His word. Will you do it today? Will you come and become a Christian? Even now, won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.